Assalamualaikum bro Waalaikum salam How's it going bro? Alhamdulillah good Salahuddin The official The official office man <laughs> Brothers and sisters To introduce Salahuddin One of the first things I want to mention is If you walked into the higher office He's the only one Who's peddling standing up At his <laughs> office desk MashaAllah Tabarakallah Salahuddin bro You're the head of global At Ayara We're going to go into You know what that means And stuff like that But you started off I remember when I was volunteering for Ayara, you were volunteering at the same time. Yes. Packing materials. That's right. Getting smashed. You know, <laughs> I remember you'd always come in in a suit that hasn't changed, mashallah. <laughs> and now you're the head of global. That's a big deal. Like, so you're dealing with, I don't know how many outreach specialists. So we have, yeah, we have over 54 outreach specialists. Allahu Akbar. Over six continents. Over six continents, over 32 countries. Smashed it. Allahu Akbar. So you're dealing with all of that, mashallah. So you're basically the guy that everyone... Needs to blame if everything goes wrong <laughs> and if anything goes wrong, rather. But inshallah, nothing will go wrong. Um, <clears throat> bro, how did that happen? From packing dawa materials as a volunteer to being like in such a high position in an organization like Ayora. Alhamdulillah, Bismillah. So everything, you know, first and foremost is all play, praise, and thanks belongs to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So my actual journey started in Ayora before that. I actually uh, knew of Ayora through the New Muslim Retreat. Wow. So in 2010, they did the first New Muslim retreat. And my sister had, uh, you probably get into this a bit later, but my sister also embraced Islam. Amazing. So both of us were attendees in Ira's first ever New Muslim retreat. So, you know, at that point in my life, I wasn't really practicing, even though I had taken uh, my shahada many years before. Mm. Is That was the first time I learned about the foundations, about the Nina. So it was just an amazing, like, uh, experience for myself i learned about Ayra. i met sheikh abdul rahim green and they were talking about this dawah and gorap and i was like what are they on about right yeah. and this i remember this brother always he would come up and he every night he would speak about g-o-r and i was like what's this guy on about but then that experience was just life-changing you know for me and for my sister amazing bro and then we realized it's actually Ayra is right next door to where i live like mm. really local so then i started coming to the office and started sort of volunteering and that's where sort of my journey began. You know, I met Sabor, um, and he wanted me to do a specific project. And the project was to go and look at the Christian Alpha course, which is their sort of dawah, 12-week course. So we did some research on that. And then I started getting involved in uh, distribution, packing materials with Johnny, yeah. with Murtadar. And, you know, that was amazing. And then started getting involved, like, from the 2012 Olympics campaign in London. Allahu Akbar. So when you started off, yeah, you're just yep. like ex-Hindu guy, you know, <laughs> in the retreat, yeah. Did you, and did you imagine coming here volunteering? When you were volunteering, did you <clears throat> imagine ever that you'd be in a position like the one that you're in today? No, of course not. Of course not. You know, uh, when I look back at those early years, yeah, I remember the brothers that were in the sort of leading departments, the the, the giants that I look up to, you know my teachers, and, and they were doing an amazing job. Yeah. And at that point, you know, Aira was uh, growing, but it was more sort of UK-focused. There yeah. wasn't that much of a global sort of aspect. We started doing global campaigns. But even then, you know, there was no inkling. For me, I was just happy to be involved in Dawah, calling people to uh, Islam, to Allah. Um, and for me, that has always been my passion. Um, mm. So to, to, to be in this position today is, is sort of, Unbelievable. Allahu Akbar. It's an example of Allah's qadr, you know. Yes. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I'm sure we've seen this in many of our lives. Allah has, you know, done things for us where we never imagined. 
uh, that we we would be in that position, you know. And I think many many of the viewers, many of the people at home, many of the people in Aira even, maybe if not everyone, was in a position like that once upon a time where they couldn't imagine that they would be where they are today. Yes. You know, and um, it's amazing, subhanAllah. So one thing I would do want to ask you, and it's a question I like asking a lot of reverts, is yes. if you were to put like one thing that attracted you to Islam, what would that one thing be? Like if you were to put your finger on it. <clears throat> yeah, if I were to choose the one thing, and I think a lot of reverts will probably point to the same thing, is that, you know, when you go on this journey yeah. uh, to sort of connect with your creator, to connect with Allah, your journey to find out what is truth. And in fact, if you look at a lot of people that, that sort of come to Islam, they come to Islam because they're searching for truth. Yeah, Certain things in their life don't make sense. They're looking, you know, for, for reasons. And for me... Coming from a Hindu background where we believe, where they, you know, they, they, they believe in worshipping idols. That's mm. what I used to believe. Going to the temple. Um, these things, you know, logically, rashly just didn't sit well with me growing up. Just didn't make any sense. But I knew there was something out there, you know. I always, this, this concept of connecting with something. I used to always have conversations with God. But obviously there was a whole range oh. of religions out there. So when I learnt about Islam from the perspective of who Allah is, yeah. really the understanding from Surah Ikhlas, you know? Wow. Say He is Allah, the one and only. So meaning there's one God, the eternal and absolute. I mean, there's no beginning and no end to Allah. He begets not, nor is He begotten. No parents, no offspring. And there is none like unto Him. So there's nothing like His creation. That just immediately resonated with me. And you hear this a lot with reverts, the light bulb moment. Yeah, it goes off in your mind and... For me, that 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 was the life-changing sort of moment. That was like, this is the truth. Nothing else can compare to this. Allahu Akbar. Amazing, bro. <clears throat> That's absolutely amazing. And 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 there's a lot of reverts, as you mentioned, that yes. will relate with that exact point. Yeah. You know, like we previously on Rerouted, we had Sifu Abdul Malik, Mashallah. and he mentioned exactly the same thing. Okay. Exactly Mashallah. the same surah, Surah Ikhlas, <laughs> and he mentioned like, uh, for me. That was the thing. You know, the whole concept of Tawheed. Yes. The oneness of God. Right, that's the thing that stood out for me, and I think this stands out for a lot of people, even Muslims. Yeah, you find bro, Muslims who've been like Muslims their whole life, like even like myself, when you study Tawheed and yes. you study Aqidah, right? You know the belief of a Muslim. That's what Aqidah is. Yes, and you and you learn about Tawheed. It, it, it's kind of like a reawakening, hmm. right? You're like, okay, so 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 that's why I can't add, like for example, it's within Tawheed. You don't rely on anyone. Yes. Other than Allah. Yes. Allah is the one that sustains everything. He knows everything. And he is one in all of these attributes that he has. Amazing, bro. MashaAllah. So, bro, I've heard a rumor about you. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get it clarified here in right. front of everyone. The cameras, brothers behind the cameras, people watching. Okay. So, I've heard that you're married, bro. <laughs> yeah. So, bro, tell us about your wife, bro. Okay, so just to clarify, whoever's told you that I'm married is giving you some inf incorrect on, information. I'm not married. Come on, bro. So inshallah, you know, Come on, um, bro. I'm looking to <laughs> get married. I'm not married. Bro, I know you. Bro, <laughs> to correct you, you are married. Okay. I'm telling you you're married. Okay, fine. Now, what I've heard is that you're married to the dawah. Alhamdulillah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, sorry, bro, Imran. You can blame Imran Hussein. You guys have seen his podcast. You I'll can blame him. Imran Don't for worry. that, for that one. But yeah, so one of the things that you are very passionate about, yes. yeah, and you're very dedicated to, yeah, 
is the da'wah okay yes you're, you're people like yourself in the organization brother Adil Nahdi who's in your department yeah my father who's in your department alhamdulillah um Isa brother Isa Khan yes. who also goes on a lot of trips with you guys you guys are always abroad yeah you guys are always abroad mashallah tabarakallah like i think Isa as we speak is abroad yeah he's in the philippines at the moment he's in the philippines they're doing a new muslim camp for like over 400 reverts amazing so like yes. my father was just abroad in malawi namibia namibia botswana, botswana. malawi yes yeah, so you guys are always abroad alhamdulillah and, and and very soon myself and yourself inshallah we're going to be traveling together yes we're going to see how that's going to be but um to new zealand right yes so yes. how do you find this um whole if we of, of course metaphorical but this like marriage like to da'wah where you're always traveling um you're always going away you're always um you're away from your family quite a bit you yes. know how how do you find that yes um so first and foremost you know um for me, like you said, Dawa is very important to me. I mm. mean, for me, you know, coming from the background of being a Hindu and then being guided yeah, uh, to Islam, first and foremost, that's the greatest blessing anyone can have and understand that being from the other side. And obviously, you, you know, I'm sort of blessed because I have a sister who's also embraced Islam. So there's two of us, but I also have other family members that are not, you know, yet Muslim mm-hmm. um, and they're dear to me. So I understand, you know, when it comes to people out there, the most important thing, funny enough, today we're doing interviews to actually expand my team. I'm looking for people to hire. And and one of the things I was stressing in the interview is, look, Dao is the most important job in the world. I don't care if you're the prime minister. I don't care if you're doing humanitarian work. I don't care if you're a doctor. Because what we're talking about is not just this life, but ultimately your akira, right? Mm. And why Dao is so important Yes, we have to focus on the Muslim community, there's issues, but all of the people that <clears throat> are Muslim, essentially if they have a sincere belief in la ilaha illallah, they're guaranteed paradise ultimately. Yes. Yet the other people that are out there, our brothers and sisters in humanity, they don't, you know, they don't know about Islam and who's going to tell them? Exactly. It's definitely not the media because a lot of, you know, mis- uh, misconceptions about Islam right so next so it's our job so coming from that background of not being a Muslim and understanding how it's the most important and valuable thing so traveling for me the way I sort of justify it in terms of being away from the family my brother and my my parents is this is something that is so vital and so necessary that we got millions of people around the world they don't know who Allah is they don't know the purpose of life they don't know what's going to happen to them when they die. Subhanallah. You know, these, these are the most important things in life. So that's sort, sort of what drives me. 100%. Allahu Akbar. And it, it's so true, bro. I mean, it's <clears> so <throat> important. If you if you describe it the way you just described it, and people actually thought about it like that, the importance really should shine. You yes. know, it should really, a person should become, because you mentioned humanitarian aid work. A lot of people could say, hang on a second. Yeah. Humanitarian aid work is very important. Of Majority of Muslim charities, without even looking at any statistics, I can say this off the top of my head, are humanitarian aid work charities, right? No doubt. However, that's only fixing the problems that are in this life. Yes. So let's say you even feed an orphan, which is good, and I'm sure many of us, alhamdulillah, we support orphans and we, we encourage that 100%. There's no yes. doubt about it. But like that's only fixing the orphan's life up until they are 20, yes. 15, feeding them, etc., but giving someone da'wah where they're lost, you know, as Allah says in the Quran, 
that you were lost. Yes. Right? And Allah guided you. Subhanallah. That guidance, there's nothing like that guidance. As Allah mentions in the Quran as well, minadhulumati ilan nur, right? From darknesses to light. Yes. You know, and taking people to that light is not only taking them to that light in the akhirah, but it's also in this dunya. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It changes absolutely. your dunya. I mean, uh, before we go into anything else, I think it's only right that we speak to you about it. You mentioned previously, and I wasn't planning to speak to you about this, but I think we should. Just now when you were speaking, you mentioned about how, you know, uh, I've been on the other fence. That's how you mentioned yeah. it. I've been on the other side, right? And and that's pushing you to go out there and give da'wah. Yes. What is on the other side? You know, uh, how was your life before? And I want practical examples, not just, oh, I, I used to feel down. Like, how was your actual life? How would you describe yourself before? Yeah, so, you know, me, I grew up in a typical sort of, I would say, an Asian family that grows up in the UK in London. Close-knit community, Hindu community. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of socializing together. We know our cousins and our aunties and uncles, a lot of social activities. Um, and obviously visiting the temple and doing all sort of the re- religious obligations. So from that perspective, you're, you're living in a community where everything seems to be okay, seems to be good, you know, um, you have good sort of relations. But as with anything, you know, if you are not connected to Allah, you're connected to something else. And that connecting to something else, it may, you may delude yourself <clears throat> in terms of it may, you may, yourself that it may bring you some sort of happiness but ultimately i can tell you right now being on the other side <clears throat> whatever other religion or path of spirituality or let's say uh, someone is looking for a void to fill that can never compare to being connected to allah it may bring short-term sort of um, um oh. yeah short-term sort of gain but ultimately i'm telling you these guys they are thinking that something is not right. Something just doesn't fit right. And what tends to happen, it manifests itself physically in the world. So it may be, you know, relationships. It may be the way they view the world. It may be the way their psychology is. But 100%, it definitely impacts you. And that's what happened to me. You know, when I was sort of moving away from sort of uh, Hinduism, just because I knew it just didn't make sense. It just logically and rationally these sort of uh, ideological sort of ideas, theological ideas just didn't make sense. But still there's something missing, you know, that I'm not doing what I'm created to do. I'm not connecting with that one source. So there's depression, there's, you know, unhappiness, there's um, issues with relationships, there's fake fakeness. So you're faking it. You're faking your friendships, you're faking your relationships with people that you know. So on the exterior, you may look be happy, but inside, you're dying. Mm. Literally, you're dying. And even like, you know, when you, when you have this with Muslims as well, when, when they're going through a, pra- a, a, a period of when they're not practicing and a period of when they started practicing, there's a world of a difference because they're connected to Allah. And then things start, f- you know, whatever issues they may be facing, they at least they have peace of mind, you know, and they have peace within their heart. Mm. And and things. So that's what I would say is the sort of the main. That's what's on the other side, really. And I mean, from <clears> what you described, that piece of heart, it, it must and it has to change your whole sense of being. Yes, you know? yes, yes. I mean, if you go from like being someone who's dying on the inside, yes, to being someone who's alive, and you know your purpose, and and you know what you need to do, yes. right? 
that's going to change your whole sense of being the way you walk the way you talk yeah, yeah. the way you, you speak to people right you're going to yes. speak with confidence you're going to yes. you're not going to feel like insecure or you know anything like that so um it's amazing honestly hearing about that subhanallah one of the things that uh we we done as i era yes. one of our first episodes of rerooted was the episode with Dr. Uthman Latif. Oh wow, okay, mashallah. And he as you know, uh you know him as well. He is an academic, mashallah, yes. very very learned academic. Mm. Um he's a fellow. Yes. And I know you say like fellow like <laughs> as in he's a nice fellow and whatnot, yeah. right? Some people may be wondering he's a fellow, all right. What does that mean? A fellow is an actual an, an academic title, right? right? So after you've done postgrad work, um, and uh, postdoctorate work, etc. You can reach this uh, title, which is like a fellow, right? Wow. So he's reached a very high level, academically oh. speaking. Mm. Uh, his BA, MA, PhD, mashallah, tabarakallah, and his research. A lot of it is focused around um, anthropology. Okay. It's, fo- it's focused around uh, studies to do with society, right? Uh, dehumanization, yes. otherization, and basically morality. Things to do with these type of topics. So one of the things that we've done, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure many people, they heard about the New Zealand attacks that happened, unfortunately, last year. Yeah. Right. And we're coming up to the anniversary of them. And it was a very, very tragic event. Yes. Many Muslims <clears throat> killed, you yeah. know, in cold blood um, by an extremist, you know. Uh, and it was a very, very sad moment for Muslims all around the world. And as Aira, we didn't want to forget about this. Right. We didn't want to just like let something like that go. We wanted to kind of research into why Attacks like this are happening on Muslims globally. Yeah, you know, in London <clears throat> we've had attacks like this. Yeah, we're having attacks like that all over the world. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're happening. In I mean, just recently to speak of a more modern kind of um, translation of these attacks, a rendering of these attacks. What's happening in India? In India, yeah, in Delhi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are being butchered just because they're Muslims, right? So we have to understand how can <clears throat> a human being look at. Um, a non-Muslim, uh, sorry, look at another human being and see them as so little that you can kill them and just walk away and it's as if nothing happened, you know. So Dr. Uthman Latif, he worked on this project um, that we commissioned. Yes. It's a book. Yes. And <clears throat> it's a book regarding otherization. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? Yes. So Alhamdulillah, you know, um, we commissioned him or well, the management commissioned him to do a book based upon a paper that he had written. Okay. And this is something that he's been researching for a while. And it's all about otherization. <clears throat> and otherization is basically excluding one from a person from a group, basically. And what it leads to is leads to dehumanization. And we see many examples of this throughout history, right? The common examples are obviously what happened in Nazi Germany, what happened in Bosnia. Yes. Uh, so these are examples where humans identify another group of humans as subhuman. And language is used, propaganda is used in order to sort of change the psyche of the individual. So, you know, they're, they're seen as something that can be attacked, really. And yes. that's what you see. It manifests itself into sort of dehumanizing behavior, which yes. is really sad. And of course, you know, it's very prevalent in today's day and age where there's a lot of right-wing movements that are gaining ground and a lot of Muslims are being attacked. But we really need to understand what is the history behind otherization? What is the psychology behind it? What are the elements that are involved? Yeah. How can we tackle these things? So that's yes. why we commissioned the book. Yeah. I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot of things that come into this. 
with um, from my own research. Yes. Like I've, I've looked into like colonial histories. Okay. And one of the things that I found very, very saddening is when um, uh, U.S. settlers uh, acquired California from Mexico, from the state of Mexico, um, there were a people living there called the Yuki people. Right. And estimates say that there was around 5,000 to 20,000 of the Yuki people living in California. And by the time in 1864, the U.S. settlers had basically dealt with the Yuki people, for lack of better words, right. they had reduced them to 85 men oh and around days. 215 women, right? They had ethnically <clears throat> cleansed these people, literally like murdered them. Where you have rangers, uh, there's a man called Wal Walter Jabo, who was right. an Indian ranger. Um, who, mm. who the governor of California actually of that time he actually commissioned him to kill Yuki people and he was a known killer of Yuki people, oh, no. right? So they were going around literally butchering, murdering, and and some of them even themselves wrote about how they killed children, right? They killed children themselves and they speak about it, right? So they had dehumanized the Yuki people, yeah, yeah. To, to the extent where they don't even see them as human and as they see them as subhuman. Right. Where killing them is okay. Killing their children and taking them, and some of them even took them as like pets. It's fine. It's justified, right, in our logic. It's okay. <clears throat> and they would use different justifications for these things. Race was one of the key factors where they, they felt like they're genuinely better than these people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sometimes in colonial violence, like we see in India, they would use this violence on the frontiers with uh, Muslim tribes, specifically right. speaking. They would call them fanatics and they would kill them and, uh, and attack them. And this, this was all kind of part of this discipline where the civilizing race yes. are going to discipline you. Right. And I actually wanted to read, you know, I was earlier reading the book, you know, that we have commissioned by yes. Dr. Othman Latif. And there's a reason, by <clears throat> the way, for everyone watching that we're talking about this. You know, we discussed that we're going to discuss this on the show. And I want to read just like very short, a very, very short, uh, you know, uh, extract from the book, right? Okay. And I want everyone to listen to this uh, because it's something that really touched me when I read it. Um, and it's under the, the subtitle, The Othering of Abir. On March the 12th, 2006, five U.S. Army soldiers of the 502nd Infantry Regiment, Sergeant Paul E. Cortez, SPC James P. Barker, PFC Jesse V. Spielman, PFC Brian L. Howard, and PFC Stephen D. Green left their checkpoint for the Genebi farmhouse to the southwest of the village of Yusufia, in the town of Mahmoudiyah, Iraq. As Howard acted as a lookout, the other four entered the family home. This was subsequent, subsequent to a plan devised by the assailants of raping a Haji girl. So these five U.S. soldiers basically planned to rape an, a Haji girl, as they described her, right? Uh, afternoon that day, the soldiers entered the home where Barker, Cortez and Green took turns to rape Abir. The remaining members of the family were shot dead. The men then shot dead Abir, of course after raping her, set her body on fire and left the house. Green, also an ex-drone operator, stated that he raped the 14-year-old Abir and killed her alongside her family because he didn't view Iraqis as human. Right? So this is something that you see even in contemporary cases, this is a case from 2006, which is very <coughs> recent, of otherizing. These people, these Iraqis were otherized, and as a result, they were dehumanized. And as a result, they could walk into a home, kill them all, rape their 14-year-old daughter. And they come from a society in, in the West where that would 
maybe be seen as pedophilia, right? But they didn't care. They didn't see it like that. All because, in quotation marks, he didn't view Iraqis as a human. So, I mean, I understanding things like this yes. allows us to understand why the Christchurch <clears throat> attacks happened. Yeah, yes. Um, and this is the reason why we're going to be going there. So, if you could tell us, Saladin, bro, as global, yeah. our trip to New Zealand, what's that all about, inshallah? So, alhamdulillah, you know, last year, unfortunately, as the Christchurch uh, massacre unfolded where you know there was 49 people who were shot dead um, that we sent out a team there and we, we did some work on the ground and as a result of that what we found was that the New Zealand community they all came together and they all wanted to support the Muslims across New Zealand Amazing. and so they support and in fact you saw the famous image or the video of that Prime Minister coming out Wearing the hijab in support of the Muslims. Amazing. So what we've decided to do this year is to go back to mark the commemorative event by doing a two-week tour across New Zealand, talking about the event, talking about the importance of Da'a, and really the essence and the core of the whole tour is unity, bringing unity and communities together. And one of the things that sort of prevents unity is this other this idea of otherization? Yes. So that's the whole point of bringing this book on tour, so people can learn like what is otherization. You know, we talk about racism, we talk about other sort of problems, but they are just symptomatic of this general problem of otherization. So it's important to understand what it is, why does it exist, give examples from like you mentioned in the past, and then essentially how can we sort of tackle these things? One hundred percent. You know, so. One of the things that Dr. Uthman, we had a session with him that he mentioned is that when it comes to otherization, there are four groups of people involved. You have the perpetrator, you have the victims, you have the bystanders, and then you have what's known as the, the heroes or the ones that go, go and sort of help. Right? And these are the four people involved. So obviously everyone knows the perpetrator, but the perpetrator is because he has a he has a current understanding of otherization in his mind. Yes, right. That leads him to the attack. The victims are obviously the people who are unfortunate victims of what what's happened because of that otherization. Then of course you have the people that come and they're known as the rescuers. They come and take action, but unfortunately, the majority of the people, when it comes to these things, are categorized in the category of bystanders. Mm. They don't get involved because they don't want to get involved or have any sort of trouble. And that's where we really need to tackle the problem is to raise awareness 100%. of what our otherization is and then to show um, the solutions. And alhamdulillah, you know, we are Muslims yes. and we have the Quran, we have Islam. And in fact, all of the answers to otherization is in Islam and what was taught to us by our beloved Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that's Salaam. what the book talks about in yes. terms of solutions. Yes, and it's, 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 it's absolutely amazing. I mean, one of the points that <laughs> Dr. Uthman touched upon uh, with uh, otherization is, because a lot of people may be wondering, okay, is it, is it as simple as that? Mm. And, it, and it honestly is if you think about it, because what this person who is otherizing yes. has in their mind, and Dr. Uthman speaks about it, this in his book, is... He's looking at this otherized person through yes. a specific lens. Yes. Right? So this lens is justifying him doing the acts that he's doing. Yes. You yes. see? Yeah. So, so they justify it to themselves. So when, when you're torturing someone in a prison yeah. uh, and you're like, you know, beating them or you're killing them as, or you're raping them as the example that was given, oh, no. you're justifying this in your head mm. by, by maybe even categorizing this person 
in a whole category. Yes. Right. So you're saying that oh, uh, these people, these Muslims are terrorists. They all do terrorism. Therefore, me doing this to one of their women is justified because they're all terrorists anyway. She's a terrorist. And I'm protecting she, my own community exactly. by doing that. And if she had a chance to kill me, yeah. she would, yes. right? Yes. So this is the kind of lens, yep. right, that we've just made up on the spot. But this is the kind of lens that they would look, you know, through. Of course. And they would justify killing someone. Yep. They would justify murdering them, raping them, pillaging their home, uh, you know. And, and when they see the tears and when they see the, the effects that this calls... Co- the effects that this causes It doesn't affect them emotionally yes, yeah, Because yeah. of this lens you Yes, see? of course And and this is what we tr- need to try and take away That this lens And this generalization that people do Is not the case yes. You know, there's a story that I, I, I've shared before And I'm sure you've had similar stories, bro And you can share them Is um, I know a brother whose wife wears niqab Right Now, niqabis within the Muslim community are otherized Yes Right They're, yeah, they're seen yeah. as these people They don't have emotions They mm. just wear like letterboxes As they've just been described by some people Right I mean he said that um, my wife she, she sat in our home Obviously not covered um, As she would be covered when she goes outside With this post lady And she's speaking with this post lady etc Then they both got up to go outside And my wife threw on the niqab right. When my wife done that the post lady was shocked. She was surprised. She was like, oh, I didn't know you're one of them. She was like, yeah, this is how we dress. This is how we are. And she said, you've changed my whole perception about people that dress mm-hmm. like this. In not so many words, you've showed me a human side yes. to people that dress like this. And, and you know what's interesting about that? Because Dr. Uthman speaks about this in his book. He yeah. said one of the solutions to otherizing is like what you said, you generalize people. The way to counter that is to treat people as individuals yes. and as unique, 100%. regardless of their background. That's regardless what Islam does. Of, yeah, and that's what Islam teaches, right? In fact, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, you had all of those tribes, and they're very tribal in nature, but Islam came to free them to show that we are one community, but also to treat people as individuals. And when you do that, you respect them, you have forbearance for them, you have empathy for that person, 100%. you have care, and then you know all of those ideas... Of otherization sort of slowly melt away. One hundred percent. So, brothers and sisters, I mean, Salahuddin bro, Jazakallah khairan for coming on the show. No problem. This has just been basically an introduction to what we're going to be doing in New Zealand, inshallah. A little bit about Salahuddin as well. We're definitely going to get you on more shows, inshallah. We need to talk about more of the global stuff, Absolutely. more in de- detail, inshallah. Recently, we had um, my father, Ustad Adnan Rashid, on the show. He spoke about some of the work in Africa that yes. you guys are doing, yes. that your department is doing, mashallah, tabarakallah. So, definitely, we look forward to having you on the show again. So Jazakallah khairan bro Jazakallah khairan for having me And Everyone needs to keep up to date With what's going on With us inshallah When we're in New Zealand yes. We're going to be posting on our Instagram At iiro.org You can follow us there inshallah And be keeping all of you up to date Okay and one more thing Brothers and sisters We have A new spoken word poetry video Coming up by The one and only Muslim Bilal Mashallah tabarakallah So as many of you know He's got a movie coming out Called Faith wow. uh, Where he's speaking about his story Speaking about how he came to Islam this spoken word poetry video is going to be called Signs, okay? And I'm not going to say too much about it. Just watch it when it comes out. I think it will really, really trigger you to start thinking and pondering on your essence of creation, inshallah, even if you're a Muslim. So watch out for that. And we'll leave you at that, inshallah. Make sure you listen to the Rerouted Podcast on major podcast platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you on the next one. Assalamu alaikum. Peace. Dum, dum, dum,